Well, good morning, everyone. Spencer here. I'm the pastor of Missional Living for Church of the City. And as you can probably see, we're in a different living room this morning. This is Sam and I's home, also in the ward. And it's a joy to be with you this morning and to be able to open up our, our passage and jump back into the book of John. If you didn't see our email this week, we are going to be having communion this morning. So if you haven't gotten some elements together for that, I'd encourage you to do that now as we get started. Because quickly, I want to just tell you a little something about myself. Uh, and that is that I am not a cat person. I never have been. I don't anticipate that I ever will be, to be honest. And part of why I'm pretty confident of that is that everything that I now see cats do, and I can be honest about this, kind of confirms that I don't like them. So moments where someone, you know, a little child goes to pet the cat and it, you know, hides in the corner or where you sit on the cat's favorite chair and you kind of get swiped at. All those things just reinforce for me the reasons that I'm just not a cat person. But the funny thing is some of those very behaviors of cats are some of the reasons that cat people love cats. They can see the same thing uh, that a cat is doing and think it's so cute and it just reminds them why they love cats so much. You might be asking, why are we talking about this? I just wanna point out that it's interesting how people can see the same thing, in this case cats, see a cat doing the same thing even, and one person it just reinforces for them why they don't like cats and for the other person it reminds them of why they love them so much. In our passage this morning in the, book of, uh, in the book of John, we're going to see something similar happening. Jesus' words are going to increasingly polarize his listeners. And as that divide continues to grow, it's almost as, as though with every statement that Jesus will make by the end, that divide grows bigger. But then by the end, as, as Jesus often did, he's going to talk to his disciples about how they should feel about that. What, what should they do about it? Uh, and I think in so doing, Jesus gives us some lessons as well. So that's really where we're headed this morning. We're going to finish out Jesus' uh, sermon that Matt started for us last week. Theologians call it the bread discourse here in John chapter 6. We're going to look at the rest of that. And then what Jesus said about, you know, this crowd being so polarized by his words, what he said about that to his disciples. And then we're going to consider some lessons found in that for us today as well. So with that, let's jump into our passage. Uh, turn in your Bible to John chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 41. It says this, So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? So our passage this morning opens with grumbling. Why is the crowd grumbling in this moment? Well, a little bit of background for you. There was some familiarity with Jesus and his family because scholars tell us Jesus and his family had actually moved to Capernaum where Jesus was doing this teaching uh, by this point in his ministry. They had moved there. And so the crowd had this added layer of familiarity with Jesus. And so they're saying, Jesus, we know you. We know your family, your mother, your father, and yet you're saying you have heavenly origins? You know, how did you think you were going to just slip this past us? As Jesus often did, he knew the grumbling that was happening around him, and so he addressed it. Look at verse 43. Jesus answered them, Don't grumble among yourselves. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So as Jesus often did, and actually did in the passage that we looked at last week, Jesus goes to really what's behind this grumbling, what's behind the complaint, and what's behind it is an assumption. What's the assumption? The assumption is that when it comes to God's revelation to us as humans, we ought to be able to take that revelation, break it down, parse it out, understand it, and then make our own conclusions about that revelation. In other words, God can sort of be left out of the whole equation. And Jesus really counters this assumption quite forcefully, actually. He says, no, no, no. If you come to me, it's because the Father is drawing you. And anyone who comes to me and believes will be saved. And in verse 45, Jesus gives us a really beautiful picture of what that looks like, what it looks like when the Father draws us. It's not as robots under compulsion. No, he actually references back to an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 54, 13, which says, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. So the Father, when he draws people to Jesus, it's, it's gently like a parent teaching their child something. Those parents who are watching this, maybe, maybe, You've had a moment or two like this in this whole experience of online learning. From what I'm hearing, it's challenging. It is tough. Neither of our boys are in school yet, so I don't totally know what it's like. But maybe you've had one or two moments that have been special, where you got to teach something new to your child in a subject that they really love, and they kind of lit up. Or or maybe there was a concept that they were really struggling with, and you got to help them understand it for the first time. I bet that was a special moment if you've got to experience that. Kids, if you're watching this, can I just say, encourage your parents. They're doing their best with this whole online learning thing. And division is just hard. It's hard, okay? So encourage them. But this is kind of the image that we get of the Father drawing people to Jesus and showing them the truth of who he is. Let's continue on. Look at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus already addressed this in the verses Matt took us through last week, but but here he comes at it again. He says, you're looking for this sign, like Moses bringing manna to the people in the wilderness. Well, your forefathers who ate that manna day after day out there, they died. If you're going to have eternal life, you're going to need a better bread than that. And he says, I've got news for you. I am that better bread. But then in our passage, we kind of hear a minor chord, a bit of a cloud Passover in Jesus' next words. Look at verse 51. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever feels like good news. But then listen to Jesus' next words. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. See, Jesus is letting the crowd know something here. And it's that for them to partake of this bread that is going to bring eternal life is going to cost him in a very real, physical way. 
It's actually going to require him to give up his own body, to give up his life. But sadly, again, we see the crowd take Jesus' words in a purely physical direction, that they completely misinterpret it. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And now watch Jesus make a little bit of an interesting shift. Look at verse 53. So, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, Jesus can sense that the crowd here is struggling to understand what he's saying. They're, they're, they're grappling with it. And so I've encountered people in this place, you know, they're, they're struggling with an aspect of the gospel. And, and usually my temptation in those moments is to try and find the, word, the right words to say that's going to alleviate that struggle for them and maybe help them just kind of put it away for now. But actually, that's not at all what we see Jesus do. He actually takes this metaphor that he's been using and he presses right further into it. And so we might ask the question, you know, why, why, is, why does Jesus choose to do that? feels like kind of a strange approach in this moment. I don't know if any of you have had this experience, but um, I there's been times where I've gone to sell something on Facebook Marketplace or Kijiji or something, and I get a number of people interested. And, you know, you go to all this work to set up a time for them to come and see the item, and they finally get there, and they see it and, oh, it's, it's, it's more worn than I thought it was going to be. Or, oh, I, I thought you were going to be more flexible on the price, so actually I'm not interested. And, and when that's happened to me in the past, I end up in this place where I'm, I'm just, I get so frustrated that the next person who expresses any interest, who sends me a message or calls me, I go out of my way to let them know all the things that I think might be sticking points or obstacles to this sale. I say, hey, it's actually used and let me, let me send you some pictures that show that clearly or here's really my, my final price. I just try and be perfectly upfront with them because I don't want either of us to, you know, journey down this road and end up disappointed later on. I, I'd rather us figure that out right up front. And I think that's what G- Jesus is doing here. You see, some want this passage, these words that Jesus just spoke to be exclusively about the Lord's Supper. Because in a sense, that would make it a little bit easier to grapple with. If when he says, you know, you must eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, really challenging words. Well, if those simply and solely are referring to communion, well, that's a little bit easier to explain and to understand. But there's a bit of a problem with this that commentators will point out. And that is that, you know, someone who's, you know, a skeptic of Christianity or trying to explore our faith might come to this passage in the Gospel of John and and read it and think, oh, okay, if this is just referring to communion, then what this is telling me is all I need to do is come to the Lord's Supper, take the bread and the cup, and I'm saved, right? Read the words in that sort of light. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That would be a pretty big misunderstanding for us to create because that's not what John's saying. It's not what any of the gospel writers said. See, here John is not just writing specifically about the Lord's Supper. See, rather, he's actually painting for us the beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us that you and I, if you're a believer, 
that we return to when we actually take communion. He's painting for us the original reality that we're reminding ourselves of in the Lord's Supper. Anyone who takes the bread of life, anyone who believes in Jesus has eternal life. Anyone who drinks from him, who's washed by his blood, has their sins forgiven, is filled with his spirit and finds their deepest longings satisfied, as Matt talked about last week. And before we move on from these verses, just a quick reminder, this language, it is challenging, but it's actually not so foreign for us today as maybe it initially seems. Let me give you just two quick examples. Maybe in this time of self-isolation with more time on your hands, maybe you've been reading a lot and maybe you've said to someone, oh, I've been devouring the Harry Potter series right now. Or maybe you've been watching a show on Netflix and you said to someone, I completely binged that show on Netflix this past weekend. Those are both uh, expressions about eating things, but I don't expect, if you were to say that to me, that you've been sitting in your home eating J.K. Rowling's best-selling novels page by page. I think you were just enjoying those books and coming back to them and finding something captivating about them. So I simply say that to say these words, words aren't quite as strange as they might initially seem. But now let's look at the conclusion of Jesus' sermon there in John chapter 6. Look at verse 55. He says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. See, what Jesus is saying here in these final few words is really what he's been saying all along, that our relationship with him does for us what physical food and drink can only ever pretend to do. A relationship with Jesus sustains us, gives us life. That's why, friends, if you're in a missional community and you, before all this, were having potlucks regularly, or if you're a parent, when you sit down for dinner, that prayer before a meal, I confess for, for us with two young kids, it often feels like a formality, but it is actually a huge discipleship moment. Remember what Matt said last week when Jesus prayed before feeding that crowd of thousands, he wasn't blessing the food, he was blessing the Father. See, when we sit down before a meal, that food, that drink laid out before us is a reminder to us. It's a reminder that we as human beings need things outside of us to sustain us, to give us life. But that food laid out can only do that for a short period of time. It's only this weak imitation of what a relationship with Jesus does for us, which is sustains us and gives us eternal life. So don't forget that the next time you sit you sit down for a meal. We don't have to simply wait for communion to have that reminder. Every single meal can do that for us. But of course, the Lord's Supper is sort of the most distilled, poignant reminder of that for us. Now let's, let's turn to what I said was sort of part two, where this really polarizes this group of people and Jesus tells his disciples what to do with that, how to think about it. Look at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Notice that the crowd goes from sort of specific gripes 
to really just being honest. I don't know if you've ever felt this way or seen someone doing this, but when someone's just in a bad mood, they can often find little things that are bothering them, but you recognize they're just, something's off about them in general. I confess that I do this when I'm feeling grumpy. Uh, but we see the crowd here just kind of stepping back and, and stepping away from little specific grumblings and just saying, Jesus, these are hard words to accept. And the word hard here in the Greek scleros is, is not just hard as hard as in, you know, difficult to understand. It's, it's more in, in line with being offensive. And it's not just the crowd, John writes. He's honest with us and says that it's the disciples here that are struggling, probably along with the larger crowd. Now, this doesn't necessarily refer to just the 12. That label of disciple could be applied to a larger group that continually followed Jesus around. But but it could very well be that some of the 12 were included in those people who were really struggling in this moment. And so now let's ask the question, why were they offended? What were some of the struggles or the, the obstacles that they were experiencing sort of behind the scenes? And I want to put three things before us that I think people in this crowd may have been struggling with or been finding offensive in Jesus' words that I think actually people struggle with when they hear the gospel message today as well. The first thing is this, and Matt kind of talked about this last week. They were more interested in a purely physical, earthly Messiah. They wanted to see more miracles. They wanted to see Jesus start a revolution. And Jesus was never going to be that kind of Messiah. And the kingdom that he was creating was going to be an upside down kind of kingdom where he was going to be a servant king. And I think this is true in this crisis that we're in today as well. I think there are people who look at the the crisis that's happening around us and they think if God can't fix this, if God can't, you know, wipe out this virus and heal people, then he's probably not a God worth following. Another reason that some some people were likely struggling with Jesus' words were, were they were offended with the boldness of Jesus' claims. You know, Jesus, you're our neighbor. And yet you're saying that eternal life is found in you and actually found only in you? Like, come on. And again, today, there are people who struggle deeply with anyone who says that there's only one way to God. So many people want to believe that all religions will will get us there. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He's making bold claims about himself. And finally, another reason that some people were likely struggling is that they, they simply weren't willing to give up their own authority and autonomy just yet. I should be able to figure this out, figure out what you're saying, Jesus. And once I figured it out, there should be a certain set of things that I can do to earn my way back to God. Again, Matt talked about this last week. But Jesus, again, contradicts this notion He says, my father must draw you to me. And then all you can do, all you need do to respond is have faith. And again, we live in a world that really worships and idolizes self-determination. And I should be able to figure things out and make decisions for my life, including, you know, how to get back to God, how to be a good person and, and what all of that means. And so Jesus knows that people are struggling with these different things. And so he begins to address this for his disciples. Look at verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in his 
knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus, as he was brilliantly able to do, so often we see in the Gospels, he kind of addresses all of these objections in just a few sentences. And what he really does here is he lets these people know that the conclusions that they're you know, wanting to reach about him, probably what they're going to continue to see in his life and ministry are likely only going to re- reinforce those conclusions. If they want to believe a certain thing, what they're going to see is simply going to reinforce that. Kind of the way that I admitted, I now look at cats. Look at what Jesus says, and let's break that down a little bit. He says, those of you who want to hold a picture of a Messiah who started a revolution and was doing miracles left and right at the whims of the people around him, you're going to feel really sure that I was not that kind of Messiah when you see me ascended up to a cross, John often uses that word ascended in his gospel to refer to Jesus lifting up on the cross as crucifixion. Those people were going to be really sure at that point that Jesus wasn't the kind of Messiah they were looking for then. Likewise, those who wanted to be able to parse out Jesus' message and break it down and understand it, they were never going to be able to produce life in themselves, Jesus said. The flesh is of no use at all. It's the spirit that gives life. A dead person can't all of a sudden make themselves alive. Only the spirit can do that. And again, our only response is to have faith. And finally, those who were refusing to really give over authority to Jesus were really going to resent him when they saw him ascended back into heaven, lifted up by his father. They were really going to struggle with that then. But on the other hand, Jesus is also speaking to those who were beginning to sense that he was who he said he was, that he was the bread of life. He was saying, you know, even though this is hard, even though you may not understand all this, persevere and your faith will become sight. You'll see the depth of my love for you when I give up my body for you so that you can have life. You'll see just how deep and how mysterious and how vast God's redemptive plan is. How little you actually understand it when I'm crucified and raised to life again. You'll see my authority confirmed when I ascend into heaven. Stay with me. And sure enough, look at what happens in the second half of verse 64 onwards. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. See, Jesus knew that many who were counting themselves as disciples of him would turn away. You know, if you were afraid of this, you know, if he knew that these words were going to be divisive and he thought, man, I want to really want to minimize the damage of this sermon I'm about to give, he probably would have gone back out into the countryside, but that's not what he does. He's there in the synagogue, in the center of it all. 
he knew that his, his ministry, his, his preaching, his words were going to be divisive, that some people would turn away. And friends, it'll likely be the same in this season that we're in. It may very well be that this is a moment for some people that they turn around and stop following Jesus. People who you or I may have counted as brothers or sisters in Christ. I admit for myself that this past week, when we were already in the midst of self-isolating and a global pandemic, and then Canada is hit with the, the greatest mass shooting that we've ever seen, that I was struggling. I felt heavy. And for some, that may have been the final straw. But Jesus, friends, tells us that there will be people who at times walk away. And I think he tells us this so that it doesn't need to put us into a crisis ourselves. Let's look again at the passage. Look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? We can sense John, as he's writing his gospel, writing these verses, probably picturing real people, men and women, who he counted friends and fellow disciples of Jesus who turned away in this moment. And we can hear the humanness in Jesus' words as well. Though he knew knew this would happen, it still is causing grief and heaviness for him. And though he knew that these 12 would stay with him, we hear the heaviness in his question to them. But the passage doesn't end there. Look at verse 68. There's an answer to Jesus' question. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, Simon Peter, often in the Gospels, we saw him do some kind of boneheaded things. But here we see a beautiful moment from Peter. He says, Jesus, you know, these words are hard. And we don't fully understand, but we have seen and heard too much to walk away now. We believe and we get from that word this faith inspired by the Holy Spirit showing us the truth of who Jesus is, this saving faith. We believe and we know, we know you, Jesus. You're a friend. You're a brother. And so we're not going anywhere. I'm reminded in Peter's words of the end of a classic book, Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring the first book in his Lord of the Rings trilogy. And at the end of that book, this group that's been following Frodo in his task of, of getting the ring to Mordor and destroy it, the group is, is breaking up. And Frodo thinks that he's going to need to go the rest of his mission alone. And so he begins to leave the group kind of in secret. But Sam, his friend, his loyal friend, all of a sudden realizes that's what's happening. And so he chases after Frodo and and Frodo tries to turn him away. He says, I need to do this. He says, I must go at once. It's the only way. And Sam responds. He says, of course it is, but not alone. I'm coming too, or neither of us is going. We kind of get that sense in Peter's words that he loved Jesus too much. He, He had seen too much. He believed too much in who Jesus was and what he was doing to walk away. And so, friends, our our final 
few things to think about this morning. How do we apply this to where we are today? First of all, and I don't say this lightly in any way, there will be people as we go through the Christian life who will leave, who will turn back, who will stop following Jesus. Jesus said that would happen. And we ought not to be crushed by their leaving. But at the same time, and hear me on this, it's important. Neither should we gloss over it as though it didn't matter. It affected Jesus. We see that here in this passage. And we ought to mourn those moments as well. They sh- I don't believe they should bring us to a crisis of faith, but that doesn't mean we won't feel anything that we shouldn't mourn and grieve that loss. But secondly, we need to remember that even in the midst of crises, the Father is drawing people to Jesus, showing them, revealing to them the truth of who Jesus is through the Spirit working in their life. That is why in just a few days, about a week and a half, we're going to start Alpha online because we believe that the Father is doing this work in people's lives. And we want to create this space where people can hear the gospel message and ask the questions that they want to ask. That's the beauty of Alpha. If you didn't know this, it doesn't require us as facilitators or you if you participate with a friend to have all the answers or really any answers. It lays out the gospel message through those really well done videos and then just lets the Holy Spirit do the work that the Holy Spirit does. And we just pray into it. Say, God, would you reveal to Anyone here who's trying to find you the truth of who Jesus is. That's why we're going to do Alpha and we're excited about it. And finally, our third piece of application. When you sit to eat, particularly at the Lord's Supper, let the food in front of you call to mind the better meal that we have been given. Eternal life through Jesus sacrificing himself for us the better meal that sustains us forever. And so with that, let us gather together for communion. I'd encourage you to take those elements that you have. I'm going to pray, and then we will take communion together. Jesus, we are so grateful that you, through giving up your body on the cross, gave us food and drink that can sustain us forever, that brings us eternal life, that takes what was dead and makes it alive. I pray that maybe even this morning there are people who are discovering the truth of who you are, Jesus, for the first time. The Father is drawing people to you and through the Holy Spirit revealing to to men and women, the truth of Jesus, the bread of life. Pray that as we all approach this communion table together this morning, that we would be reminded anew the better meal that you have given us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have those elements. I encourage you to take them now. Uh, Gather them together now. We're going to take them in a moment. Uh, get the bread. Let me read this for us. This is from the Gospel of, of Matthew. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. 
and said, take, eat, this is my body. So let's do this in remembrance of him. Now I'd encourage you to take the cup and then we read this for us. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us drink in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Well, now let us sing together. Well, friends, I love you. I miss you. And I know I'm speaking for all of the staff and elders. We miss you so much. Right after this, we've, we've started our Zoom prayer time right when the Facebook premiere ends, but we will go a little past noon if anyone joins at noon, but we'd encourage you to join us for prayer as soon as this is done. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We believe that in the midst of a challenging time, that there's no place else that we would rather go than to be with you. You have the words of eternal life. We believe that you are who you say you are. And we pray that men and women in our city and all over the world in the midst of this challenging moment would be discovering that truth as well. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. All right, friends, have a good week.